Night AF with Tony Tone and LA. <laughs> Yo, what's up, it's your boy, L.A., a.k.a. The Love and Dissident, coming to you straight, live and direct from the Jungle Studios. First and foremost, thanks, as always, for the amazing support that you're providing. You want to check me out, it's uh, at the Real LA 21 that's the Real LA 21 or, if that's too complicated, try at Random Attractive Friends. Uh, Excellent records that we're breaking for this year. Once again, uh, the podcast is growing bigger and better. Not bad considering I also run a full-time job. Um, do a full-time radio, do a radio show. Uh, also do a whole bunch of music and uh, read about two to three times, a, two three books a week. And uh, yeah, you know, go out and about, socialise, boogie. So uh, yeah. Thanks for joining me. All right, now coming up, um, of course, don't own the rights for it. Go subscribe, pay money, they own it, oh, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's from The Economist, and it's just a great article. It's a great article. Uh, it's called Rejoice to Serve, uh, and it's about bureaucrats in Indonesia. Now, I'm trying to find who it's written by, but for some weird, weird reason, it doesn't say it. You think you'd write an article and you say, oh, look, that's a tip to the economist. Like, yeah, I'm ready to get your article. Can you tell me who wrote it just so I can explain to the people, hey, this person's like a really good journalist. Go check them out. Well, it turns out that the bureaucracy in Indonesia is lit. And what's so interesting about this article is around the world, like... Especially in Western societies, no one wants to be government officials. And the reason why I've chosen this article is because I had this discussion the other day with someone and we were saying that there's no real visionaries left. There's no people that were like a Martin Luther King or a JFK or a Gandhi or, a, I mean, even just to go so far as someone like a Thatcher or... You know, like a lot of famous sort of indigenous leaders as well. Um, Eddie Marbo, for example, a legend. And so what we sort of noticed is who's actually going into politics? And it turns out in Indonesia that people love to go into government because it's highly sought after and it's highly respected. Unlike uh, with our politicians where we hate them. I'm not even going to go on that rant. Well, let's begin. With the government rang to bell, tell Booty, not her real name, that he had been hired as a tax collector, it was like a dream come true. When he graduated from university in 2013, the only work he could find was as a stevedore at the local port. Jobs in his hometown of Ende, a small city of the island of Flores, were scarce. Local governments promised a steady income and a pension. Even more important for Booty was the status that came with a job. When he put on his civil service uniform for the first time five years ago, people saw me differently as one of the most respected jobs in the area. Booty was one of the lucky ones. Last year, a staggering 4.2 million people applied. That's nearly a fifth of Australia's population. 
for around 150,000 spots. Wow, that's nuts. That's less than, oh, it's a couple of percent in the civil service. Many enlisted to serve their country. Yes, bit of nationalism. I love a bit of nationalism and patriotism. Good on ya. Others are less highly minded. Jobs are hard to find for young Indonesians. In 2019, as many as 26% of those aged between 15 and 19 and 16% of those between 20 and 24 were unemployed and out of school. In many poor provinces, remember Indonesia's got thousands upon thousands of islands, the government is one of the biggest employees. A study in the Indonesian part of New Guinea in 2014 found that in many districts more than 1 in 10 people of working age were civil servants. Government salaries are often higher than those of private companies and jobs are for life. That's actually a very big thing that we'll get to later on. It's the fact that basically it's very hard for them to get fired. So you just get there and you just chill out for the rest of your life. Working class Indonesians see the civil service as their route to the middle class, says Pende Mad Kasanagera an anthropologist at the Universitas Gujarmada, excuse my pronunciation. Moreover, there is prestige associated with being a government man. In the colonial era, the Dutch stripped local aristocrats for their powers and turned them into bureaucrats. Fallen nobles lent prestige to the humble new posts, says Mr Pando. Today, some senior bureaucrats, particularly in the farther reaches of the archipelago, regard the districts in which they serve as their own personal fiefs. Fiefs referring to um, like kings and feudal times, like a fiefdom would be what the king kind of rule, rules over the land. The reason why so many Indonesians want to become public servants also explains why once they've succeeded, they often fail to serve the people. Kind of starts off idealistic and then they get in and they're like, oh, now don't relax. Public service is a patchy, particularly at the level of local government, which is responsible for health care and education. Among other things, real spending per person by local government soared between 1994 and 2017 by staggering 258% on average, according to the World Bank. But services remain ropey. More than half of children leave school unable to read properly, for instance. Inefficiency is rife at the local level. Exam results, jobs, promotions and transfers are regularly sold to the highest bidders. According to a study published in 2012 by Peter Blunt and Hendrik Lindroff of the World Bank and Mark Turner of the University of Canberra, Canberra, Australian Uni, capital city of Australia for those listening in Canberra. Bit of a shithole if I'm being honest, but anyway. Local politicians often reward supporters with temporary posts in the civil service. Thus, many bureaucrats are unqualified for their jobs. A report published in 2017 by the State Civil Society Agency found that more than 40% of the 696 directors, the highest ranking bureaucrats, that it was assessed were not fit to do their jobs. Yet it is almost impossible to fire civil servants. In 2017, only 347 out of 4.3 million were dismissed. I mean, you've got to wonder with those type of numbers, what did the 347 do? Like, what was it so outlandish that you got fired for it when they even accept that you're going to be corrupt? They're like, we know you're corrupt. It's fine. Everyone else is corrupt. What, like, what would you have to do? Madness. It means you don't have the big motivation for your future to help develop yourself, said Hadiano. Also know the real name. Of course, it's not going to be his real name. He's not going to give you a real name. He works for the Ministry of Tourism. Well, there you go. 
Go to Bali. It's a nice place on a side note in Indonesia. Workers often slink away from the desks hours before they're supposed to. Munici <laughs> this is good. Municipal police in some provinces are under instructions to round up bureaucrats identifiable by their khaki uniforms and deposit them back to the office, says Dr. Pandey. Many civil servants also seek to bump up their incomes through schemes which distract the civil servants from doing their jobs, said Kevin O'Rourke, a political analyst. Employees of the tourism industry, for instance, are paid a generous daily fee when they travel for work. It is standard practice to extend trips by a day or two beyond what is necessary to claim extra cash. Well, I mean, of course you would. Why wouldn't you? Some officials are not content to stop there. Every year, millions of dollars are siphoned off the health system, which, with its re relatively large budget, is a particularly popular target for embezzlers. Indeed, gaps are so widespread that some bureaucrats are frightened of taking any decisions at all. The fear that the washdogs like the Anti-Corruption Commission will assume their motives can only have been pecuniary, explains Mr. Rourke. Uh, these countries amaze me how you've even got an Anti-Corruption Commission and everyone's on the take. I mean, they're probably the most corrupt. It's probably like four or five people working there that are like super like patriotic and we're going to make the country better and hate corruption. And then, you know, everyone's just running muck. Since the arrival of democracy in 1998, there have been attempts to reform the bureaucracy and entire ministries devoted to the cause. Good on you. Jobs are better defined and processes have been streamlined. Comptrollers are clamping down on expenses cheats. Salaries are now boosted by allowances pegged to performance. The thing is with pegged to performance is how accurate are the statistics that they're actually doing. And on a side note, I read a book about radical uncertainty and it goes into the depth of how like actual statistics and reports are in a sense like you just don't know because you could say for example oh like you know the local the local manufacturing plant has like increased more that's quite easily to tell because you can look at the end of the production line but if you call a whole bunch of people up and say we vote trump or biden i mean if you call 400 people up in california it's going to be biden 400 people if you come up in the midwest or somewhere then you might get a different thing so statistics are quite hard and therefore how you're judging your performance but it's at least the start i guess a law that will come into effect next year will make it slightly easier to fire people such reforms are working argues Rudiato Simawano of the indonesian civil service commission Indonesia is now ranked 59 out of 100 in the World's Bank Index on Government Effectiveness. From a low of 24 in 1996, the higher the ranking, the more efficient the government. On the Corruption Perceptions Index of Transparency International, a watchdog, Indonesia scores 40 out of 100, with zero is highly corrupt, against 28 in 1996. They're doing a, they're doing a good job. But changing the culture of entitlement will take time. Old school officials in their 50s are set in their ways. Well, you've got to forget that people that don't really understand Indonesia, if you're listening to America, they were under Suharto for a very long time. And you've got a connection with uh, Indonesia because, um, well, Obama's stepdad was Indonesian and he lived there for a little while. There you go. Uh, basically, long story short, they're making some way, but... Still, the president's kind of like, what's going on? We need a little bit more here. The pandemic has shown in many cases, even within Australia, 
we didn't even know our state premiers had that much power, but that's a side issue. But the pandemic has shown just how urgent reform is. Here, here, and the world, here, here. By June, two months after Parliament had passed its COVID stimulus package, which is 1.5% of the 75 trillion rupee, $5 billion, budgeted for the health system has been dispersed, prompting the normally placid President Chikawi to lambast his... Oh, Placid, sorry, not the, the president's Joko Will Dodo, yeah, commonly known as Jokowi. So, normally placid president to lambast his cabinet for its business as usual response to the crisis. Yet the bureaucracy seems unable to shake off its lethargy. Just a third of the government's overall budget of $695 trillion for rupee for the year has been dispersed so far. According to Reuters, the government actually spent a smaller percentage of its budget in the first half of 2020 than in the same period in 2019. Actually, if you think about it, it's unbelievable. As the Bureau caps have fiddled the numbers of cases of COVID-19 has soared. Along with the Philippines, Indonesia has far more deaths from the disease relative to its population than the other countries of Southeast Asia. To treat COVID-19 properly, it will need to cure its bureaucracy. Well, first and foremost, having a job in Indonesian civil service sounds awesome. It sounds awesome. It sounds like you just get in... You know, you fling a couple of bucks to people and then you just sit there and just cash out and you can't get fired. What I will say, though, is Indonesia are our neighbours. Um, I think they're actually the biggest Muslim country in the world. Um, they have some insane amount of, like, 40,000 islands. Good food. Very nice people. Very friendly. Good neighbours. Very good neighbours. They kind of do their thing. We do our thing, you know... I like them. I like Indonesians. I generally do. And um, I think we should be spending more time and trying to build a relationship with them. You know, build a bridge between Australia and Indonesia. But I will say one thing. Corruption around the world, we all know happens. But there has to be certain things that I don't think that corruption should be involved in. Like, if you got a little side deal, so be it. But stuff like health, you know, like the health system, because at the end of the day, you're really robbing yourself because, you know, as, as people are even finding out in places like India where the people are dying from COVID that are multi-millionaires because even though, you know, the people on the board of the hospitals, it's just so bureaucracy and everything that they can't, they can't even save themselves. And I think stuff like health and... Um, in particular health and education are the two things that a society, uh, no matter what they're doing on the side, should maintain at least for the people. Because um, at the bare minimum, it's, it's it's what you can do. And if you're going to be corrupt, I mean, look, no one's going to be able to stop you if you run the country and you create the laws, but, you know, at least have some compassion for the common man and, you know, set up a couple of side businesses on the side if you might. All right, well, that was a lovely article. Once again, go support The Economist, and it's a very enjoyable read. Hooroo to the gurus. And uh, like I said, uh, charity to the Indonesians.